want to turn with me in your Bible. We are embarking on the end of our journey through James. We're wrapping it up, folks. The last two verses in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. The Apostle writes, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. There are two things that can be a little scary, I think, that this passage stirs up for me. Perhaps it does the same for you. First, a fear that many people share, which is the fear of confrontation. It's a real fear that many of us share. Uh, Concerns of inadequacy, not knowing what to say, how to say it, when to say it. You know, Concerned about coming across in a a wrong way, being misunderstood. There's another one. It's something I've alluded to before. Something that should cause fear in any sane believer. And that is to have wandered from the truth and not know it. uh, Not realize it. To be in that, that state really to have, to have quenched the Spirit of God to a point to where your, your heart is so hardened that you can't hear. That is a fearful state to be in. Perhaps it could be that your incessant wandering is proof of a more urgent and dreadful concern of not ever even having exercised faith. A saving faith. Which is why Peter stresses the need in his own letter to be diligent to confirm your calling and election. That is, to look at the evidence in your own believed, professed, and exercised faith. What does it reveal? This is an examination here, a spiritual one. The truth is, we, we all have blind spots. We all have blind spots in regard to the faithfulness of our faith, the veracity of it. Quoting Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, he says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. The simple fact is we need each other. Desperately. To help us to see What's in our blind spots? Um, Just giving a scenario here. If a famous, well-known person that runs in sordid circles, you can imagine who that could be in, in our society these days. If that person comes out and professes Christ as Lord, amen to that. But, you know, the Christian blogs will all be a buzz. 
something like that happens. We've seen it before. You know, certain magazines are going to beg for an interview. But if that same person comes out and professes to be on a spiritual journey to find his own truth, no one gives that much of a thought these days, let alone a second thought. Considering the, that sordid crowd this person runs in. In a similar way, as Spurgeon once put it, so you can, that's a good qualifier there. He says, a holy life is not talked of by an ungodly, holy, rather as an ungodly world, half as much as one unholy act of an inconsistent professing Christian. Boy, I blew that there. Basically, they're going to see this, and as soon as we trip up as Christians, oh my goodness, let's, let's take an opportunity to tear them apart, to show their unfaithfulness, how they delight to speak of that. You know, social media outlets and the like, you know, the, the, how they roll that story that the sins of God's people under their tongues as sweet morsels. They wait for those moments. Uh, you read of it in Scripture. It's like those lying in an ambush. Uh, you may repent of your backsliding, and that you should. But the truth is, after you've once stained your reputation, it's not easy to wipe out a blot like that when you stain your reputation. We need each other. We need each other in practicing a ministry of prayerful confrontation. We have a duty to one another in love to do these things. And truthfully, truthfully, we can't, we can't see into the heart of a person and know for certainty what motivates him or her to do what they do. We struggle to understand why we ourselves do some of the things that we do. As long as a wayward brother or sister allows us, we must seek their reconciliation. As long as they allow us. In our passage today, James, he lovingly exhorted the churches to practice a ministry of prayerful confrontation for those wandering from the truth of God's word and in so doing, not only to participate in rescuing a sinner from destruction, but in covering a multitude of sins, thereby restoring fellowship. That's the amplified version of our verse this morning, if you will. Now, if one of the brothers should be deceived and wander from the truth and fall into Satan's snare, the faithful should minister to him and restore him to the way, on to the proper path. It is a matter of life and death. Proverbs 21, verse 16 says, One who wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. And what better way of good sense 
has mankind been given but the truth of Scripture? The Word of God, in essence, the gospel of Christ. That is the truth James speaks of. This text clearly focuses on the responsibility that believers have for one another and their spiritual welfare in the community, in this body. At the very least in this body, but our brothers and sisters across the globe, as we are commanded to pray for them, encouraged to do so, we must be ready to engage in a ministry of prayerful confrontation. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's what I'm going to go over. Now, this consists of good works focused on restoration or reconciliation. But it does often mean confrontation. So, in this good work of prayerful confrontation that we are encouraged to do, what should be the aim of the ministering saint? What should be the aim of the saint? Well, first, look prayerfully at the evidence. The evidence of what you are perceiving and someone wondering. We'll go over that. Second, you do this because you recognize it is a matter of life and death. James talks about saving the soul here. Thirdly, you should ask yourself, this is important, am I able to minister properly, to minister rightly? We'll go over that. And lastly, Number four, also ask yourself, am I motivated to gain a brother? I believe James reveals these things to us and draws us to these things in this text. First, look prayerfully at the evidence. James, once again here in our text, he addresses his readers as my brothers. He's not writing to in exhorting those who are outside the church, but the church itself, it, its people. Now, this is important because it gives us a necessary clue to know who is the anyone among you that he's talking about here in the, in the verse. The phrase, anyone among you, if you look, it's actually the third time that James uses this phrase just in chapter 5. In verse 13, he used it to refer to suffering Christians. In verse 14, he used it to refer to, the, to those Christians who are ill, even weak, or spiritually distraught Christians. You know, it's a sad reality that you will find both types of people, they're, they're going to exist in the church. Now in verse 19, James, is, he uses that phrase to refer to those people in the believing church that have or had professed Christ and his salvation. In our present day context, it would be the, the members of this church. 
we could look at that that way in terms of application. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, to recognize that someone is wandering from the truth and there appears to be some evidence there, evidence in a professing Christian's life of some transgression. And one thing to understand here, in a professing Christian's life here that James is exhorting about, it's regarding a, a sin of a more serious nature. In his hypothetical, yet very likely scenario, you know, it's a very high probability he had heard of this himself as he's writing to them. This wandering of some degree and some length of time, it, it frankly looks like the action or words of an unbeliever among them what it's looking like. Verse 20, he writes regarding this wanderer, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering. A sinner. Sadly, among the brethren, there are some who do wander from the truth. There are tares among the wheat. And many of us have witnessed it firsthand. Jesus had his Judas. Paul had his Demas. You know, perhaps some of us have wandered from the truth for a time and were brought back. Praise God. It's not just the pastor's hearts that are broken over such developments. It wounds us all when these things happen. The word that's translated as wanders in our Bible, sometimes it's translated as strays. Strays. It's, this is not just an, an aimless wandering here. Okay? It rings more of a, a deliberate faithlessness. Perhaps apathy is part of it. Maybe it started there in some level of apathy. But it is a string from the truth of Scripture. The word can also be tra- translated as to apostatize. Okay? Which would be the final result of a wandering that remains permanent. Such one is apostate. The truth is that it's being parted here that James talks about that's being wandered away from. That's the Word of God. It's, it's primarily the gospel of salvation that's being wandered from. In verse 20, James elaborates just a little, identifying the wanderer as a sinner who is wandering. He, which if you were to study that a bit more, it's more rings of a, a wandering in the error of his way. In fact, some translations put it that way. In the error of his way. It's not just an aimless wandering. And when we look at the evidence prayerfully, it becomes more and more revealed. It's the same type of wandering from truth that Jesus accused the Sadducees of doing. 
In Matthew 22, verse 29, we read, But Jesus answered them, the Sadducees, You are wrong. Wrong about the truth, that is. You are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. Now, what's, what was he talking about? He was talking about the resurrection. They didn't believe in it. Before we were saved, we all wandered. Peter noted in 1 Peter chapter 2, For you were straying, wandering like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's the work of the Spirit. We are encouraged to engage in that good work. Jesus informs us, or rather James does, I'm sorry. He informs us that there could be evidence that we need to be looking for in a professing believer's life that runs contrary to Scripture. You're going to need to know your Bible. It's a certainty that someone who rejects the truth of the Word, namely the Gospel of Christ, to go follow some other way, that their faith was never true and genuine. It is a, a falling away of, from the faith. To reject the gospel is definitely a falling away from the faith. A person never exercised a saving faith. But it's, it's not always so clear where a wandering, professing Christian is on this, this spectrum of wandering. We can't know. We don't we can't see into the heart of the person. The language James uses in verse 20 it indicates that this wanderer is among the brothers. But at the same time, it indicates that this is a non-believer because it speaks of saving his soul. We can't know for certainty the condition of a man's heart before God. You know, is he or or is he not reconciled to God? While we look at the evidence. For all we know, at least for a while, until that evidence is more thoroughly examined, we could be dealing with a backslider. Someone who is of genuine faith, but temporarily wandering from the truth to some degree. As brothers and sisters, in our job for caring for each other, you know, looking out for each other, we can only see the evidence of a person's lifestyle and, and his profession, what he's speaking regarding what he believes. If the profession is one of Christ as Lord, but the lifestyle doesn't match up to that profession, then we have an issue. It needs to be addressed. There are many who speak in the name of the Lord. And when we do so, it should be in reverence and in the integrity of the Spirit of God. But among the many are some who, despite any outward profession of faith they, that they might make, they live in clear defiance to God's revelation as given in Scripture. It just doesn't match up. It's to those whom Jesus would say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, 
and do not do what I tell you. James says this wanderer is also a sinner. Someone who has wandered from the sound doctrine and or godly living. Given time, given enough time, the two, the bad doctrine and the ungodliness, they're going to match up. They'll catch up with each other. You know, this person's ungodly character becomes more and more apparent. And either his doctrine will catch up to his ungodliness or, or the other way around. It's given enough time. And I can tell you as a pastor, often things start with poor and inconsistent attendance that becomes to a point where there's hardly no attendance at all to the gathering of the Sunday service. Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. There's some evidence to look at, to start with. You know, one particular recurring theme in the New Testament is that of our consistent need as Christians to be associating with each other. We need the ironing, sharpening iron. I do. I do. I, the encouragement. The prayer. Oh, the prayer. The fellowship. The brotherhood. One cannot rightly enjoy even the Lord's Supper being absent of the worship service, you know, not being here at church, physically here. I know I've got to add those in in our day and age with the internet. Our need for the ministry of the preach word and taught word is paramount. It's one of the crowning follies of the present time that people think that they can have a healthy and growing fellowship with the Lord apart from His church and its teaching. Being actively present in the church. I've, I've heard people say, you know, I've read the Bible so many times and I've been to church, I don't need to come. I'm doing it on my own. Now, I realize I, I'm sound, I could be sounding like I'm picking on people. But I assure you, I am not. I'm not. If we are going to take James's exhortation here seriously, these matters of even church attendance, they're not secondary matters. We're told to look at evidence here. Now, if I asked for a show of hands of, of those who do not want more grace in their life, I hardly think anyone's going to raise their hand. We all want more grace in our lives. We need it. But what does Scripture identify as the means of grace that God uses to bless us? The sacraments, you know, Lord's Supper, baptism, prayer. But chiefly, it's the ministry of the Word, including with special province, the ministry of the preached and taught Word. in your local assembly. 
I won't go any further on that one. Beloved, we must be looking out for each other. Not as tattletales. Hmm. Please don't be tattletales. But as ambassadors, that word packs a punch. To be an ambassador of Christ means you're going to represent him. You're going to put your pettiness on the shelf. You're going to be an ambassador of Christ as you bless a brother or sister. You know, following the guidance Jesus gave us in Matthew 18 is important. It must be used in that sense on how this works. How to address a sinning brother or sister in Christ. And covering all of it in soul-wrenching prayer. You know, one thing that James carries out here from verse 13 in this chapter all the way to the end, verse 20, is the need for faithful prayer. These verses are part of that, that call here for prayer. He uses that phrase, anyone among you, throughout this section, and, and it ties together this ministry of prayer. Prayer is paramount here. These final two verses, they just happen to be focused on the ministry of prayerful confrontation. All right. The second target. The second target that we should aim for in this ministry of prayerful confrontation is acknowledging the seriousness of the matter because it is a matter of life and death. Because it's a matter of life and death. In verse 20, James writes that if this wanderer should turn about and repent, then he will have saved his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Save his soul from death, it says. How more serious can this be? The path that the sinner among us is on is for sure away from the truth and if followed to the end death there is a way and it would be an erroneous way there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death the death that may be experienced, that will be experienced if there is no repentance and being brought back to the truth, it's not one of annihilation, as some believe death to be. Aaron touched on that recently in one of his sermons. It's not that we, we die and the lights are all out and there's no consciousness, consciousness thereafter. No, the, the death that James and scripture repeatedly speaks of is eternal death of eternal hell the second death where the worm does not die and the lake that burns with fire and brimstone which is the final state of the unrepentant sinner god declared in ezekiel 18 verse 4 the soul who sins shall die The ultimate end of sin, as James has already told us, chapter 1, is that it brings forth death. 
Have your sins been paid for and covered? Unrepentant sinners, in our present case, the one among us who wanders and does not return, will face eternal death weighed down with a multitude of sins. Since even one sin damns the sinner to hell, Jesus instructs us, and James instructs us, using that word multitude here, it, it describes the hopeless condition of sinners. There's a multitude of sins throughout their lives. They pile up sin of an immeasurable weight that ultimately will sink them down into hell forever. There will be a day when there is no opportunity for repenting. And you won't know when that is. In Psalm 5, verse 10, David wrote of the godless wicked. He said, Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Or you could say the, the multitude of sins. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. This is serious. It is life and death. In Romans 2, verse 5, Paul writes, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. No unbeliever is free from the crushing weight of sin. However, it is the unrepentant sinners in the church, in the church, among us, who will be more guilty of the unchurched believer. Why? Because those in the church have a knowledge of the truth. Some have even tasted it and delighted in it. Something the average unbeliever doesn't have. But despite this knowledge, they reject it and despise it. Turning away from it, going after the world, it's evidenced in their speech, in their lifestyle. Regarding such a person, the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 10, starting in verse 26, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice of sins, but fearful expectation of judgment. In a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Within every church, every church, there are those whose profession is not real. 
and whose attachment to Christ is not a saving faith. I say every church. I say it in just about every church, you can imagine. Their true condition, as one that's still being held by sin and death, it becomes evident to the caring eyes of those who are watching for one another in the fellowship. Wandering from the truth and from the life that accords with the truth. It gives a revealing testimony to how things really are. And it calls for a spirit of concern in every Christian heart. If you lack that, brother, sisters, pray for that concern. This call is serious because, again, it is a matter of life and death. Now I want to take a a brief step back here again and notice how James again addresses the readers as his brothers. As we consider the, my third point here of you asking yourself, am I able to minister rightly here? Well, James, he doesn't, not, he's not just recognizing them as brothers, but as his brothers. His brothers, they are family. James and the men and women, women among these churches. If his readers are going to follow his advice and apply it, it's going to require the commitment of a family to make it happen. James's readers must let it soak in that they really and truly are family. A tie that's stronger than blood. But there's even more to glean in James's referring to them as brothers, as family. Just like I noted earlier, that the anyone among you phrase was pointing out that the wanderer is a fellow professing believer among them. This phrase also helps the reader know who's, who James is exhorting here. Who's he giving this exhortation to? He isn't asking just anyone to take up the call of prayerful confrontation. He's asking anyone among you. And that would be you and you and me. He's asking us all. It's how we should be understanding this. This is simply to say that we must not disregard the call the apostle gives as somebody else's responsibility. I can look the other way and someone's going to pick it up. It's your responsibility. It is. And mine. Anyone who becomes aware of the situation. It may be have been a special set of sins. Maybe it's been a single particular sin which revealed the departure from the truth onto this error of way. But when a person comes to know Christ as Savior, it is not just one sin that is forgiven. Not even just all the sins of which that sinner is aware of. 
but the whole multitude of all sins as God knows and has recorded them. And that reveals the great salvation that we have in Christ. That it covers a multitude of sins. All of them. But as you become aware to a wandering way of a brother or sister in Christ who may or may not be truly saved, we must begin with an understanding that we are dealing most likely with the backsliding. That's where we start in our thinking until the evidence reveals something else. That we have a genuine believer temporarily wandering from the truth. Of course, some things are made more evident more quickly, but that's not usually how it works. This person, this wanderer, you know, has covenanted in some way with you and the other church members in some way. Now, of course, some churches are more explicit about the, the covenant being made. But since you are, are not God, and you cannot even be certain of the person's motives, you must start as if you are confronting a person for whom Christ has died. I hope that puts it in perspective for you. The gentleness part of it. There is, however, more instruction that must be considered. Paul gives it. In Galatians 6, verse 1, Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, he says, lest you too be tempted. And we can't have the blind leading the blind here. It's not going to help things. It will make things worse. If you, yourself, are held in sin's embrace in some way and are acting and or believing more earthly than heavenly, as James would put it, then you are not the one to be confronting a believer regarding their sin. Do you want to embarrass yourself and expose your own folly? You know, Paul's warning in Galatians is given to avoid further division in churches. Also, also James warns of the cap- capability of our own hearts in chapter 4, you know, in, to judge one another in speaking evil. Take care first to deal with your own sin before confronting a brother of his sin. You know, Christ talks about that and removing the the log out of your eye before you're going for the speck in your brothers. James gives a prescription here. If you find yourself possibly in your quest here to ask yourself, am I able to minister to a brother? He gives a prescription in beginning with verse 7 in chapter 4. He says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's the prescription you have to get yourself straight 
So you can be ready and able to help ministering to those brothers and sisters. Or perhaps it'll be you who is the wanderer. It's because James is writing about a ministry here of what I call prayerful confrontation that insists upon a mature spiritual approach. An approach that's covered with faithful prayer. You know, the same faithful prayer that James urges in verse 16 of this chapter. It's spit in earnest for restoration. If you, dear brother or sister, if you are seemingly more earthly than spiritual in your behavior, in a weakness in faith, then aim to get past this. Seek Christ. Again, prayerfully consider what James says as a prescription in chapter 4, verse 7 and following. I know it could sound corny here, but it's memorable. If you want a good friend, then be a good friend. Just aim to be the type of good friend that is daily seeking and depending on Christ. And His Word being constant in prayer. When you do this, brothers and sisters, you're bathing in the Lord's means of grace. So, as James exhorts, look carefully at the evidence and you may find a brother wandering and in need of your prayerful confrontation. If you see that, then act on it. Act, because he is dealing with a matter that is one of life and death. And check and ask yourself, are you ready and able to minister and gain this brother? Because gaining a brother is the end game here in this passage. That's what James means in verses 19 and 20 about bringing him, the wanderer, bringing him back, you know, bringing back that sinner. This is my final point. The motivation to gain a brother. Matthew 18, verse 15, we read, If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now to say gain your brother sounds a little odd to us. What does that mean exactly? To gain your brother. The New American Standard puts it as won your brother. You've won him. It just simply means that you brought him back to you and to the fold, to the body of Christ. And although you haven't done this, hopefully, you haven't done this good work here to gain glory for yourself and bringing back this sinner, you are benefited in this and participating in such a glorious work. And there's always a special joy to cherish in that. The work doesn't stop there. In fact, James doesn't even mention gaining your brother in those words. That's, that's what's happening in the background, if you will. 
What James focuses on is the benefit that's derived to the sinner. His soul is saved from death and a multitude of sins is covered. You know, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He uses you and me to reconcile poor sinners to himself, to be a part of that. Now we get to participate in this good work. And the sinner is saved from an eternal hell, that hell that I spoke about earlier. And this idea here of covering sins, Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 4, verse 8, in relation to the love that we bear for each other. We happen to know about each other's sinfulness. And we cover this sin and love, these, this multitude of sins. You know, we quietly keep it under wraps in the sense of gently working with this brother until it becomes a more serious matter and things perhaps need to be brought forward. When the loving duty falls to any one of us to pursue, to care for, and rescue a wanderer, we do so because we have become aware of a lapse from the truth, an error in the lifestyle. But when we witness this, that knowledge is, is for us alone, for the, the brother seeing this alone. There's no publicity here. No sounding of the trumpets during or after that rescue bid throughout. It's simply the love which covers a multitude of sins. You're following Matthew 18. There may come a time as you're working prayerfully through this when you need to bring in the witnesses. There may come a time when it needs to be brought before the church. It doesn't start there, though. We must not be confused about ultimately who is doing the saving and the cover of sin. That clearly is God's job. Only He is capable to pardon sin and save a sinner from eternal death. And realistically, this, this happens over time. You know, seldom should we expect from one prayerful confrontation that the wanderer is repentant and walking securely in the Lord. Although that could happen. But rarely. No, no, we must prayerfully confront again and again, most often, coming back as long as the person allows us to do so. It's tiring. You need to be strengthened in the Lord. Of course, Matthew 18 tells us again that if they're not going to listen, you will bring back the witnesses and possibly have to deal, bring it to the church to deal with. It's a process. It can be a lengthy and painful one. But if we really take our faith seriously, we understand what is at risk for the poor soul. James urges this confrontation to rescue sinners and preserve the fellowship of the saints, giving a crushing blow in the strength of Christ to the, the plans of the devil to divide the body. You get to participate in it. Now before I close here, I want to ask you, anyone among you, are you currently embracing sin 
Are you struggling to be faithful? If, by God's grace, if you can see this, first thank Him. You can still see it. Then be done with the foolish and vain running away from God and the the issue. Seek God in prayer, in His Word. Talk to someone that you recognize as spiritually mature. Talk to Aaron or me. If you have never trusted in Christ to save you from your sins, those sins that earn you a place in hell forever and ever, know this, that you have hope available to you in Christ. As your heart still beats, you have hope available to you in Christ. Recognize and acknowledge to God your sinful ways. There is no hiding it. He already knows. But you must acknowledge your sinfulness before God. And in so doing, pray for His grace to save you from it. There is not a sin that Christ's blood cannot cover. Acknowledge Christ as Lord and Savior. Believe upon Him and His death and the shedding of His blood that He did to save sinners like you, like me. His death, paying the penalty that your sins deserve, but paid for once and for all. The Son of God paying for those sins. It's complete. Him doing that in your place. His shed blood covering a multitude of sins. Every one of your sins. Past, present, future. Completely paid for. Covered. Repent. Turn away from your sins and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Today. Don't wait till tomorrow. At the beginning of my sermon this morning, I mentioned the fear of confrontation that many face. I want to encourage you, engaging in earnest prayer over the matter that you're seeing over that matter, it will help you squash this fear into submission. Pray and ask the Lord to show you His will. Time and again, this will be found as you study the Scriptures, as you are praying on the matter. Trust the Lord will accomplish His will through you as you seek to obey. And when you are praying for the wandering brother or sister, you will usually, naturally, in that prayer, be drawn to him or her in a special way. That will encourage that encounter. You're going to be thinking about him or her. And you're going to want to engage. What should be the aim of the ministering saint? First, 
Look prayerfully at the evidence of a brother or sister that you suspect is wandering from the truth of Scripture. Second, you do this because you recognize it is a matter of life and death. Third, you should ask yourself, am I able to minister properly and rightly? Are you one who Paul would refer to as those who are spiritual? And fourth, ask yourself, am I motivated to gain a brother? Because God willing, that is what you'll be doing. And all heaven rejoices at such an outcome. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to have as a motivation to want to be a part of that, to see heaven rejoice.